right, and hello and welcome everybody to episode 8 of the Chilled Esports Podcast. I am your host, Eugene Caffin, and I am joined alongside me today by my good friend, Christian. Christian, how you doing, man? I'm good, thanks, mate. Yeah, how's your, how's your week been? Yeah, not too bad. Getting there. Getting Happy there. to be on the show tonight. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Um, it's a little bit of a sad day. Our good friend uh, Joseph Ray can't be joining us, sadly. He uh, had to go pick up his girlfriend from the airport. So we, um, you know, we wish him a good time. A uh, weak excuse. <laughs> Get his priorities right. Yes, he does. Blizzard his priorities. Um, so unfortunately, it'll just be uh, it'll just be us two. But I'm so excited to have you here, man. We have a lot of um, cool things to talk about. A lot of things in Blizzard have been happening. Excellent. Good to hear. Yeah, yep. It is good. It is good. Um, so we'll probably just uh, get right into it and talk about our week in Blizzard. What do you mean, Blizzard added monks before demon hunters? I'm afraid my condition has left me cold. Oh, the weak always fall. All right. So normally... Because I'm the uh, host, I'll decide to go first. <laughs> um, go for it, mate. Yeah, sure. So my week in Blizzard this week has actually been pretty awesome. Uh, first of all, um, I'm going to talk about the Hearthstone ladder. So during the week, it was the changeover for the seasons. So I don't know if you know, Christian, about the Hearthstone seasons, but they do only last one month. Right, I didn't know that. Yep. So Hearthstone seasons are actually really, really short. So it's you only get um, thirty to thirty-one days, or twenty-eight if you're in February. Um, to... So, so what season you're up to at the moment? Um, I don't know if they've. I don't know if they mention the season number, but they just say May twenty eighteen, for example, is the season right. that it's gotcha. in. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So we just finished the May twenty eighteen season, and. Obviously, after my massive blunder last, you know, uh, last week, um, I ended up at rank 20, but I still got the rewards for 18, which is still the same as 20, but um, I got some gold, got some dust, and I got a golden card, which is still pretty good, I reckon. Excellent. Yep. Um, but the important thing that I didn't know is that I thought that I was going to get reset four ranks back from where I ended up on the ladder, right? That's how mm -hmm. you think it would work, yeah? Yeah. Guess what? Reset at the same spot? No, you re I reset four levels from the highest one that I achieved during the season. Nice. So That's not too of, bad. Yeah, so instead of getting reset to rank uh, 24, I got reset back to rank 22, which is just infinitely better. And after some games, I'm already ranked 19. Nice, man. Yep, so... I'm well on my way to getting back to where I was with minimal with minimal game time. And uh, the deck that I've been playing pretty much exclusively ever since I got the sweet Arthur's Hero is um, Melloc Paladin. Okay, what's that about? So, after the Call to Arms nerf, I just said goodbye to Even. I, uh, you know, I basically just um, knew that it was going to be a dead sort of deck and everyone seemed to agree with me. Um, but it's where I play a lot of really strong Murlocs um, uh, at the start, and I can have uh, the crazy opening of um, one of the Murlocs into Rockpool Hunter, which essentially is the most insane start you could ever get. Okay. And um, just pretty much bash their face in until, um, <laughs> yeah, until 
until I win, essentially. It has a lot of um, the normal paladin tricks, so because it's not odd or even, I can pretty much pick and choose which cards I really want to, and um, some of the good ones that I like to pick are ones that um, I can pretty much dump my hand and then pay three mana to get the same amount of cards as my opponent, and this just gets really, really disgusting against some of the new meta decks, in particular Warlocks. Sounds pretty disgusting. Yeah, it's pretty gross. So it was always, it was the Paladin problem before the Witchwood. There was a lot of dude Paladin and aggro Paladin running around and people were saying that it was just too easy for them to like dump minions on board and get all their cards back. So it's still true now, but it's a little bit harder to do with Odd. But I find with Merlock, it's actually pretty easy to um, to dump your hand on the board and especially against Warlocks that, and um, especially the even ones, which we'll talk about a bit later, they're trying to get their hand size really, really big. So all that it does is I spam out minions, play three mana, and then draw like four or five cards, which I think is just pretty gross. Yeah, definitely sounds like it. Yeah, and um, as well, running Call to Arms. Um, I did mention it last week, but even though it's five mana, I've just been managing to combo it really well with my knife jugglers. So yeah, I, I backed down a knife juggler. Um, there are other minions on the board that are harder to deal with, so it usually sticks days. And I get to play Call to Arms, summon three Murlocs, more, more than likely, maybe even another knife, knife juggler. And um, yeah, it's just, it's pretty good value, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I've even won the mirror match, which I thought was awesome. Because I think generally the mirror match is one that I, I, I was never really good at playing. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much what's been happening in um, Hearthstone. In, okay. Yeah, in some of the other games, though, Heroes, I think you and I have some pretty pretty good shared experiences from this this week. Yeah, definitely. We had a, um, I think it was a string of about four or five games that were really, really good to play. Oh, yeah. It was just super, it was just super fun. We were, you know, picking these really cool Heroes. We had... A couple of our uh, well, we had Joey with us and one of our other friends uh, come along. So we had we had four people, um, which is just shy of um, you know of the five that you need, and we were just having having a, like a great time. And one of the things that I really enjoyed was that um, Joey just decided that he wanted to play Garrosh the entire time, which was fine with me because um, it meant that I got to play a another warrior. And I have to say that playing Double Warrior in the Double Warrior meta with one of your friends is just really, really fun and so good. So good. I wouldn't know, mate. No, I, I don't like playing Warriors. Yeah, I know you don't. <laughs> I know you don't, but, but for someone who does... Assassin's is where it's at. Yeah, for someone that does, like, I really... I, I like Warriors, but it's... And it's finally, like, the meta where Warriors are, like, good again, you know? Um, and it's just pretty fun, especially when you have someone else there to, like pick up the slack it's always hard being a solo warrior in um in heroes because your positioning is you know your team could live or die essentially by your positioning but with two there you have the hokey pokey going on and you can go in and go out and all these cool things um in particular i remember our one of our games on towers of doom was just really really good yeah i'm trying to remember that game now yeah the one that was just a clean sweep um, that was, no, that was one that was really competitive. It was a really competitive game and we we're actually not doing too well in it. Um, but through a string of really good fights, um, and I think Gazlo 
yeah, Gazler on our on on our team doing a really good ultimate. Um, we were able to snowball and win the game essentially. So we had a lot of a lot of questionable plays at the start, um, but eventually we um, we were able to get you know eke out a win, even though it was not really favored for us. And I think in any other map, then it, it wouldn't have been so easy. But because it was towers, because we were able to um, essentially cap some of the points where maybe we shouldn't have um that we we're able to to make a comeback and to do all this stuff it was i think we we're up against the double specialist from is what i remember oh yeah i think i remember that one now mm. yeah we're up against the double specialist and we're getting like out poked and out you know out building like the entire time but we ended up you know um getting a really good fight towards some of the end battles and i just remember it being good um so you know having a great time in um in heroes haven't quite got to playing some ranked yet because our queue times have been a bit long, but I think that's where we should be heading soon. Yeah, I'd be pretty keen to play some ranked. Mm. Well, you're definitely getting practice on one particular hero, but that's yours. Um, last thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> last thing. Overwatch. Oh, man. Same deal. Had some sweet games. Oh, man. Absolutely sweet games. And I think it was you uh, that, um, that told me this. So... You know, we got into a game and we had like a few good wins and then I'm like, oh man, what do I want to play? And then you're like, Eugene, you, you got to remember, always be fisting. That's right. Yeah. So I did, I did play a lot of Doomfist and man, oh, it was, I was having such a good time. I, um, I never really made very consistent plays, but there were some plays that I made that were just fucking ridiculous and I just couldn't believe that I was getting away with this shit. Yeah, he's he's definitely a, a very very fun um, hero to play, um, but he is really dependent upon um, your positioning, and it's interesting because you know when you've got your cooldowns available, you can go in, you can get kills, whatever. But as soon as your cooldowns are down, um, you know you you've pretty much got to play like a little bitch until they come back up again. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I I I have been watching a lot of guides um, on YouTube, especially your Overwatch, etc. Um, learning about like how to play Doomfist and basically if you're in or near any heroes and you don't have any of your cooldowns you're pretty you're just burned pretty much yeah like if you're in it means that you're about to use two of your abilities to kill your opponent with your basic with your autos and then you're using the other one to get out yeah well, well the basic combo is um, you use your ground slam so your E if you're on yeah. PC um, to go in um, you use that stun and that knock up. Um, you get one of your left click shots in, then uppercut, and then finish them off with the last three shots. Mm. And then use your um, your right click charge up punch to get out. Yeah, yeah, dude. That's what I've been practicing. Although I'm not good enough to, to weave in the auto attack when they're stunned. So I, I take the noob approach where I E shift and then try to get the three autos in the air. And most of the time... They've taken some perk damage before, so I only need one or two in, um, to hit. Yeah. Yeah, and then I can use my um, my right-click to, to get out. So I that's what I've been practicing. Although there was... Um, oh, and the other thing about the ultimate is um, apparently you should just never use it to try and do damage at, at higher elos. Yeah, pretty much. It's um, more or less an escape tool. Or mm. positioning tool. Yep, yep. But I'm a dirty, you know, a bronze to silver player. So 
I'm just like slamming that down where everybody is. <laughs> and it does feel good when you do get kills with it though. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does feel very good. It does feel very good. And it's the same about um, playing D.Va. And I think between playing Doomfist and playing D.Va, I managed to get three player of the games uh, in, in one night. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so it was press Q to brag. And um, yeah, that's what I did. Uh. <laughs> So I I don't I don't think I definitely deserved any of those. Maybe the Doomfist one because I got like two kills other than the ultimate. So I think that was I think that was warranted that one. But I don't think any I don't think the Diva ones are usually very worth it. Well, it, it depends. Like it can the the um the Diva ultimate kills can sometimes you know win you the game if it you know knocks out three or four people in one hit. Yeah, um, and if it's like one of those sort of critical ultimates um yeah that's worthy to play the game even if it's you know a little bit it feels a little bit dirty yeah yeah that's what i mean it just it just feels dirty but i can see how you know if it's in overtime and you're like two centimeters away from turning in or the opposite they're two centimeters away from turning in or getting to the getting the payload and you know the the nerf this just you know obliterates the enemy team yeah that's definitely play the game like but there are some other times where it's just like out in the open and no one's really doing anything and then all of a sudden you know three people are dead and that's the play of the game and i just i just think no. oh well yeah anyway um the one thing that i will say about our games is that man it was it was really good to be able to execute a strategy with um with teammates definitely it, it makes such a big difference when you've got you know even a, a small amount of coordination within your team Mm, yeah, they do. And it was really the first time that I can say that we, I, I, I convincingly won a Temple of Anubis attack. Yes, that game in particular was um, was really good. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, but... I liked how the um, the the Reinhardt shield tips that I gave a couple of weeks ago on the podcast um, actually, you know, we were able to pull that off and it worked really well. Yeah, yeah, we really were. Um, and I believe it was Joey on the... Was it you or was it Joey on the Reinhardt? It was Joey on the Reinhardt that time. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so it was Joey on the Reinhardt. I was playing Zarya and you were on Hanzo, probably? Uh, no, I was on Moira that game. Oh, you're on Moira. Okay. And Brenton was on Aang? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but anyway, it, it ended up just being a really, really, you know, cool strategy. We... We used the shield, we used the Zarya shield, we had a good healer backup. Um, everything just worked well. And I get to brag because I got four gold medals. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I, don't th I think that's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> all right, man. Well, that's, uh, that's all me done. So uh, how's your weekend Blizzard been? Yeah, my week's been pretty good. Um, as you said before, we played a little bit of Heroes of the Storm. Um, so as you alluded to, I've been playing one particular hero almost mm -hmm. exclusively. Uh, well, which, actually exclusively. Yeah, who's, who's that? Um, so that's Hanzo. Um, uh, and I've been experimenting with the auto attack build. And I found that it's, um, it's surprisingly strong on a lot of the maps. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it, it's actually quite good. Like you still have the, um, obviously your abilities... So your um your Q and W and whatnot are um a fair bit weaker, but you know they still deal damage. They still have the utility, um and the auto attacks just hit a lot harder. 
Um, it just seems like a lot more consistent damage. Yeah, sure. So I think that was um, something that I was seeing you doing a lot more, like, and, and, and the difference between someone playing Hanzo well and someone playing Hanzo mediocrely is weaving in their auto attacks. Uh, and there was something that I did notice you doing a lot more. Um, yeah, it's something using... I've been trying to, trying to focus on. Mm, were you using the um, Redemption level one? Yes. Yeah, okay. How fast were you stacking that up, man? Um, pretty quickly, within you know, a couple of minutes. Oh, okay. Dude, that's really good. Yeah. It is lost on death though, isn't it? Yes. So um, you know, making sure that you're positioning correctly and avoiding death as much as possible um, is, is key. But I, I think um, in you know, the half a dozen games that we played, I think I might, might have only died maybe once or twice and lost stacks. Um, but even then, I was able to build them up again pretty quickly. All right, okay, cool. Cool, cool. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much Heroes of the Storm for me. So just lots and lots of Hanzo. Um, Overwatch, I've been playing a, a number of different characters. Mm -hmm. um, so first of all, a lot of Reinhardt. So getting in that tanking practice. Yeah, sure. And, um, what I've been focusing on, uh, two main things, have been shield management. So um, knowing when and when not to have my shield up. So just, um, you know, a lot of the time I see other Reinhardt players just having their shield up all the time mm. um, when it's unnecessary. Um, so just making sure that you're, you're dropping that shield, getting the regen a little bit so that you have shield when you need it. Yeah, um, sure. I think that is something that, that I definitely need to work on as well is, you know, just knowing when to have your shield up or, you know, or when to have it down. I think that's just a really important skill to have. So it's, it is something that's good to practice. Definitely. The other um, skill I've been practicing is, uh, I guess, following on from what I was talking about either last week or the week before about um, positioning as a tank to make space. Mm -hmm. um, I've been practicing that specifically with payload maps. So um, a lot of the time I see Reinhardt's sitting behind the payload, which you think would make sense um, in that it gives you natural cover. You know, you can drop your shield for a little bit. Um, but I'll ask you, Eugene, what's the, what's the problem with playing a Reinhardt and sitting behind the, the payload? Oh man, it's probably because other people can get in your face, essentially. <laughs> yep, partially. Yeah. Um, the, the big problem is, A, you're not really um, protecting your team as well as you could. Mm. Um, and the second thing is you're not really effectively making space. So if you stand in front of the payload with your shield up, um, all the space behind the payload is then free for your team to work within, right? Yep, sure. And it pushes the opposing team back a little bit. Um, and the, the further forward you move, the more space that you make in between. Mm. Um, if you're standing behind the payload, their Reinhardt or their tank or their front line can sit on the other end of the payload and so when there's enemy that are in such close, close proximity with the payload, what does that do? Oh, yeah, man. The payload's just not going anywhere. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're standing in front of the payload as Reinhardt and creating that space between yourself, the payload, and the rest of your team, you know, it means that the payload can always be moving. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you, man. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it seems really basic when you, when you talk about it that way way but so many times i've seen reinhardt's like sitting behind the payload and uh, the payload stops and you know they could have advanced and, and gained gained distance when you know if they were just in front of the payload instead 
Yeah, I think it's also twofold. Like from from someone that that play, you know, that's obviously played the game a little bit. When you're on defense, you're always sort of thinking about how can I stop the payload, right? And if it's always just like continuously going, if there's someone that's always making it go, then it's on you to try and engage on them. And I think that's like really where Reinhardt sort of excels is when people are trying to like poke you, you know, uh, poke poke through the choke, and um, you know, but you're creating enough space so that the the payload's always moving. And if people are, you know, putting themselves in a bad position to try and deal with that, then they're just going to take damage from your teammates, theoretically. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess the the same that the principle works on um, on defense as well. If you're able to, you know, wipe the enemy team or force them back, you know, sit on the far side of the payload mm. as Reinhardt, um, because then they've got to get through you, push all the rest of your teams off it, and then they can move it. If you're sitting at the back of the payload, all they've got to do is push you back and they can, you know, start advancing again. Yeah, very true. So, yeah, I think that's a really good, a really good lesson is that, that there are times when you just need to be a bit more aggressively positioned. Like it's nothing crazy. You're not going to, um, you know, you're not going like completely deep in the back line, but you're just making enough space to create a difference. Yeah. Well, I guess in the end, you've got to remember that you're, you know, a seven and a half foot tall German man with <laughs> 500 HP and armor and a huge uh -huh. shield of good you know, Nordic you, stock of good Nordic stock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah you, that's what your job is basically. Mm. Yeah. So the, um, the other thing that I was really happy that we're able to pull off a couple of times uh, mm -hmm. during our games this week um, was the Hanzo Zarya Grav Dragon combo. Uh, the press Q to win combos. Press Q to win, yeah. yeah. So it was good to see that happen, and I think we got a couple of team wipes from it. Yeah, man, um, it was definitely really, really good to see that happen. It's actually a little bit more difficult than you think to pull it off. Um, yeah, well... really helped, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is very difficult, because the only thing that you can really base it off is the audio cue. Like, you know, Zodiac goes up, oh, blah, 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 and then, like... You know, everyone's stuck still, and by that time, you you have to have already hit the queue as yeah. uh, Hanzo. I think it's also a reflection of um, the level that we play at, mm. um, making it more difficult. So at higher SR rating, the teams tend to stick together more, and so getting those um, the Zarya ult in particular off is a lot. Well, maybe not easier, but it, it's more intuitive. While at our Elo, people don't seem to stand close enough and then their positioning's bad so you might only get two or three people in a grav yeah that's what i found and i think it was even the temple of anubis game i just didn't even use my altar zarya the entire game yeah well yeah because like people just weren't grouped up enough and i guess the argument then is you know you you can use it on a solo or two people and you're still getting value out of it mm. um but you know i guess everyone just wants to get that big you know five or six um, player grab and then combo into the dragon and yeah, yeah very yeah. true very true everybody wants like the you know the highlight reel play the game you know moment pretty much yeah i suppose it is okay to um to use it if you're even going to get like one one pick provided it's like a, a worthwhile pick like someone that just is out of position and should die yeah yeah, or if you're just trying to win the point and you've just got to get rid of that last person that's sitting there. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think I did drop it on the spawn when we were on the point, so I think that may have like helped us out a little bit there. 
Um, yeah. But you know, I, I I didn't even have to use it any other time. We were literally winning the game when I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should use my ultimate now. Every other time was like just trying to deal with people, you know, running around and all this other stuff, and you know, Joey trying to go in and whatnot. Yep. So I guess the last thing that um, I sort of looked at in my week in um, was in regards to Overwatch was um, playing a lot more Soldier Soldier Seventy Six. Mm-hmm. So working on my positioning and aim there. So I had a, sure. a few games where control of the high ground in particular, um, I think swung the balance in our favor favor uh-huh. um so in particular on oasis um and watchpoint gibraltar there's two games there that we um we did quite well i think in part from um, me taking the the high ground there yeah sure but i think with a lot of heroes actually um the hit scan and um ranged heroes like hanzo and widowmaker just controlling that high ground makes a big difference yeah, it really does. And that is something that I'm going to talk about later when we talk about the Overwatch League. But um, yeah, man, I definitely I definitely agree with you and is really something that I'm starting to take notice of a lot more when I'm playing games. Awesome. Yeah. Yep, yep. That's it for me. All right, cool, cool. Well, if that's it for you, man, I think we, we better dive right into this esports action. Sounds uh, good. So first up, um, let us talk about the Hearthstone esports. You face Jaraxxus, Eladar Lord of the Burning Legion! Well played. Well played. Good game. Well played. Good game. You stream, I stream, we all stream for Hellstream! Alright man, so the, um, the first uh, thing that we're going to be talking about, and pretty much the only thing that was happening in Hearthstone this week, is uh, DreamHack Austin. Um, which is another one of these uh, Grand Prix tour stops. Okay. Yep. So uh, this year, particularly in the um, in the Hearthstone sort of esports scene, they've been doing a lot more tour stops over in your you know well local locations. I think the only one that we had was Sydney, um, but um, yeah. So it was that for um, over there in the Americas region, over in Texas. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, What's interesting is it's a little bit different from the uh, HCT where they run a different format. And I think I mentioned it on some of our podcasts last time. So instead of Conquest, where you have to win with every single deck, which is one that I prefer, it was um, Last Hero Standing. Okay, yep, yep. Yeah, so if you remember, that's when, you know, you if you win with a deck, you can you have to keep playing it. But if you lose with a deck, then you have to switch to a different one. Ah uh, yes, I remember now. Yeah, so, um, so basically, what was happening uh, this time around is that there weren't um too many really um like meta-defining sort of decks around. There, there were quite a few uh, popular decks, obviously, and the pros are really you know playing all of the really popular ones. But there are a lot more interesting matchups going on, and I can really see um that there was a lot more strategy involved in the lineup that you bring to these events instead of a HCT event. Okay, how so? So when it's Conquest, you have to bring a deck that you know that you can just win against any other deck, right? Because you can't really um, you can't really decide uh, which deck you're going to be sort of playing against. Okay, yep. You know what I mean? Like, 
you can you can make sure that you bring decks that can uh, beat what some specific archetypes like you you'll bring two that can be control or two that can beat um, aggro etc but because you can't be certain of your matchup it's a bit harder for you to uh, strategize but in last okay. series standing you can bring a lineup such that you know um, what you're going to counter so for example um, you could you know br bring a lineup such that um, and you could choose your lineup such that you can just counter what the opponents are bringing. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so if, if you know, for example, that um, that a lot of people are going to start out playing a particular deck, maybe like Druid or something, then you can always uh, bring a counter to Druid and you know that you're always going to have a good matchup against this particular deck. Yeah, and I guess you'd, you'd count on the fact that, you know, maybe 60% of people will be running Druid. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. Or um, I think in this case, um, um, Druid was popular, uh, but I think, man, as much as I hate it, Warlock is back, man. <laughs> Warlock is back. <laughs> Good to hear. Yeah, um, we'll talk about we'll talk about it in a second. But um, that, yeah, that's what I mean. So you can bring a deck that you know is good against certain archetypes, and you know that you're going to be, you know, playing one of them or, you know, ha like having a good matchup against it. And I think it does lead itself to a lot more strategy. Um, and I did see it in one of the games that I was watching, which I will, um, which we'll talk about later. But firstly, um, I just want to mention some of the decks that were really, really popular. So one, even, even Warlock. It's just really good. <laughs> I, I said that it probably wouldn't happen, but it did. <laughs> And um, it's just, they can do the Mountain Giant strategy still. Like, because their hero power costs one, and, you know, and Mountain Giant is an even cost card to start out with, um, yeah, you can just tap turn one, tap turn two, and then play it on turn three. That's still pretty disgusting. Yeah, it's still pretty gross. And then if you have two in your opening hand, because you're drawing cards then it's just really really disgusting like um yeah and i saw and in 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 one of the matchups i saw there was some crazy business going down um some of the shakeup though from this week as well is that druid is back but it's not um spiteful this time there's a new token druid running around okay how does that one work so it basically has really 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 good almost everything um it basically works by using a card called Whispering Woods. So Whispering Woods costs four mana and summons a uh, one one for every card that you have in your hand. Okay. Yep. Yep. So that's a pretty big token generator, um, as well as some of the other druid cards like um, I forget, forget the other one. That's um, oh, uh, Living Mana is one that will generate a lot of tokens. Generates uh, two twos for the amount of mana crystals that you have. Okay, yep. Oh, well, it turns your mana crystals into 2-2s, two and then when they die, you get your mana crystals back. That sounds really strong. Yep, it is really strong, um, as well as um, good old Spreading Plague, which is one of the things that can generate a lot of tokens. Um, it's just if your opponent fills up the board, you get to fill up your board uh, with the same amount of 1-5 taunts. Oh, wow. That... Sounds ridiculously strong. Yeah, it's pretty strong. Um, you probably went around during um, during J Druid or 
you know, or the meta where they were really strong, but um, it used to cost five mana and it, and it now costs six, which is, you know, a little bit worse, but uh, Druid was just basically the most powerful deck on ladder. Uh, Jay Druid was just killing everybody and um, they basically, they filled too many holes. They were, They said, what's Druid really bad at? And then, you know, they said, oh, well, it's really bad at clearing the board. It's really bad at going wide. And they just um, gave them all the tools to be able to deal with that. So um, it's slightly nerfed, but it's still a good uh, token generation tool. So the one thing is, that it can do in particular is that it can gain a lot of armor, like a shit ton of armor. It can stall out the board, summon a lot of minions. But in particular, it has a lot of burst potential as well because of Savage Draw. Okay. So Savage Draw gives you and all of your minions uh, plus three attack on, on, on one turn. Which is just pretty disgusting when you have seven minions on the field. You right. Can, yeah, I see. You, yep, you can quite quickly um you can quite quickly uh kill a lot of people. Actually I think it's plus two. I believe plus three plus three is bloodlust. But if because it's only three mana, you can easily double Savage Raw in a turn to give your um to give your uh, each of your tokens um for attack, which is pretty gross and can easily one shot people. So that that's definitely been running around. Um as well. Good old favorite Shadowhawk Shaman. It was nice. highly represented. Nice. But uh, during all my watching, and I only I did watch a fair amount of it. I only got to watch one game just because people that brought it ended up never having to use it. Um, but um, it's not the same OTK version that people have been running at the start of the Witchwood. Um, it's a little different. It runs um, Keliseth. Are you familiar with what Prince Keliseth does? No, actually. Okay. Uh, so if you have no other two uh, mana cost cards in your deck... Uh, and when you play Prince Keliseth, you give every single other card in your deck plus one, plus one, every single minion. Okay, yep. Yeah, so it's so it's a really large tempo play in that if you get it on turn two, for the rest of your game, all your minions come out with an extra attack and health, which uh, doesn't seem like much, but it's really, really powerful. Especially with some of the other cards. Importantly as well, it is a battle cry. Uh, which plays right into the whole Shadowwalk thing. So you basically run a, a tempo deck that still runs all the same type of, um, all runs the same type of battle cries uh, with the Life Drinker and the Grumble. Um, and when you play your Shadowwalk, you get a large amount of six sixes on board, as well as hopefully um, getting uh, about three one one Shadowwalks back in your hand. Um, to like to go do the combo again and again and again, so it's just really, really, really awesome. I think anyway. Yeah, sounds pretty strong. Mm. So it it can be that I think when it draws really well, it draws really well, and if it you know if it draws poorly, it can stall to get to the end game. But if it doesn't do well on tempo at the start, it does really fall off a little while. So I think it is a little bit more high risk, high reward than some of the other decks running around. Um, as well as some of the other decks that are going on, uh, there's been a lot of uh, Miracle Rogue and a lot of Quest Priest. So Miracle Rogue was more of the ones that I've been seeing and just have these really, really crazy swing turns where 
you have to do a lot of math in your head and count on the fact that you're drawing all these all these things and it's one one of the decks that i remember being big back when i first started getting into hearthstone um and it's really good just to see it back because you know you can see all these crazy plays happening um you know see people get lethal out of absolutely nowhere and it's really really fun to see i never got to see any quest priest but that's basically just going to be a ball fest it's going to be you know i go to sleep until the priest wins <laughs> um yeah so and in particular um a lot of these things sort of mirror what i was been uh, what i've been expecting from ladder and what i've been hearing and seeing on um, hs replay so um it was really really good to see all these new decks and see how the pro is really going with it Um, one big game of note that I wanted to highlight is um, two guys, Boar Control versus Team America. So is that Boar Control or Board Control? No, it's Boar Control. <laughs> Boar Control, okay, yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yep, some guy just decided to call himself Boar Control. Um, yep, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and some guy just decided he wanted to be Team America as well, so, you know, whatever. Um, the one thing I wanted to highlight about this particular matchup is that they were all they were both running some s sort of oddball decks. Like um, Team America was running a token druid. Well, I I forget what was banned, but he ran a token druid, a shadowwalk shaman, and a taunt a taunt warrior. Right. Okay. Yep. And I believe uh, Boar Control was running the Spell Hunter, Taunt Warrior, and Miracle Rogue. And man, this game went to the wire. They, you know, had back and forths all the time and were just really, really, you know, um, just really good games to see and good strategy. So um, basically, what happened was is that. Uh, Ball Control got a win with the Spell Hunter against, um, I think it was one of uh, the token, token Druid. Um, but what happened was is that after, oh no, it was one of the other decks, but um, Team America was able to get back at him with the Taunt Warrior. Okay, yep. Yeah, so, oh no, yeah, so the first, the first match that they had, sorry, was a Token Druid Mirror which was just this crazy, crazy, crazy game um, where it was sort of back and forth. And what it turned out being is that Team America would have won if he had attacked with his hero power on one of the turns during the game. He was off lethal by one damage. Oh, nice. So it was really, really close and some misplays. After that, um, Team America decided to queue up his Taunt Warrior into the Token Druid, which is just a horrendous matchup for Token Druid, and so was able to pretty much steamroll him. But then the crazy game came in the Taunt Warrior versus Taunt Warrior. That would have been uh, <laughs> enthralling, I'm sure. <laughs> it, it sounds really boring. You know, it sounds really boring where they're like, yeah, we'll just put a, like, you know, a bunch of torts in the way. But secretly, um, it was really about completing the quest as fast as they could. You know, like, it was just this arms race of who could get to their quest first, you know. And 
um, what happens is when you complete the quest, essentially you become Ragnaros and for two mana you can deal eight damage to a random enemy. Okay, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, you have to summon seven taunts in a game and equip a a three mana Sulfurus, which is a, a, a pretty good weapon. Um, but after that, it's essentially if you can, um, you're, you're just hitting your hero power every turn to be dealing eight damage to one of the um, to one of their um, minions. Or, can you or, do it to their face? It's completely random, and if it'll either be, um, it's divided among minions and face. Right. So if they have no minions on board, it's going straight to face. Nice. Yep, but um, a lot of the time they do. Uh, so the the whole strategy is to try and clear their board before you hero power um, to reduce the sort of chances because they because you can hit it in hope that it'll go face or you know hope that it'll clear the board for future um, hero powers. But it's sort of this intricate thing. And what ended up happening was both of them ended up getting to Ragnaros. Uh, well, I call it Ragnaros, finishing their quest relatively uh, close to each other. I. So board control uh, finished it a lot earlier than Team America, but um, Team America played a really, really good game to get back, uh, you know, control the board state and get back to use his hero power. But um, yeah, there were like there was just hero powers going back and forth, them trying to like summon minions and clear minions to try and get the hero powers to go face, and it was just this really um, intricate sort of uh, game mixed with a lot of RNG, which is what people sort of complain about a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that has really, I guess, put me off Hearthstone at times is the um, RNG. Mm. Um, you know, it. it uh, I think it, it is fun sometimes, um, especially cards like um, Knife Juggler and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, it, it does seem a little bit swingy sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, it is really hard to be a professional in a game where, you know, the outcome... Um, of your game is purely decided upon what the computer randomly generates. Yeah. Yeah. That's always been the argument uh, against, against um, Hearthstone and why people don't enjoy it. But I, I think, I think it can be fun. I, it, it's fun as a viewer anyway, <laughs> if anything. Definitely. Yeah. As, as a viewer, it's always fun. Cause you're just like, Oh, um, but yeah, I can see why people don't like it. Lastly though, is, Afterwards, after the after board control won the taunt warrior mirror, uh, it was his miracle rogue. Oh no, no, he still had sorry, he still had the taunt warrior, and it came up against the shadowwalk shaman of Team America. Team America played two really good games and ended up just having a really really insane game. The Shadowwalk Shaman and was able to beat the Taunt Warrior before he got Sulfurus. Okay, yep. So he just had a you know really insane draw, drew Keliseth on curve, um, and was able to essentially play all the combo pieces to assemble the combo and win out the game pretty pretty close and uh, like pretty quickly, sorry, and it was just really awesome. The last game though, oh man, the last game. So it was Miracle Rogue versus Shadowwalk Shaman. Okay, that would have been interesting. It was very interesting. What was even crazier about this was that Team America got almost the best possible scenario. How so? 
So he had Keliseth on curve, right? So he played Princess Keliseth on two. And then got Zola the Gorgon on three, which meant that he got another copy of Prince Keliseth in his hand. So he had a double Keliseth buff on his entire deck. Oh, wow. Pretty much, you would consider that an almost unwinnable situation in most games, man. Like, your opponent's entire deck being 2-2s, two uh, be, sorry, being plus 2, plus 2 for the rest of the game, seems pretty crazy. Yeah, that sounds ridiculously strong. Yeah, so he was in a commanding position. You know, he had all the potential, and um, he basically you know, had everything going in his favor. What happened was, is there was a point where everything was going to plan, he just needed to get his combo pieces. But the Miracle Rogue was able to put down a pretty fat Van Cleef. And it was getting pretty tense to where there was a lot of life being exchanged and everyone was sort of a bit low. But instead of um, putting down a Volcano to draw five cards, he ended up hexing the Van Cleef, which would have died anyway, um, and um, tried to clear the board. And that was basically his downfall because after that, the Miracle Rogue was able to put down some gadgets and auctioneer, do their normal shenanigans and be able to generate a board that he couldn't deal with. He had no tools to do with it and he couldn't get his combo online. Oh no. Yeah. So this guy basically, instead of going for a normal play, he ended up clearing the board. But the Miracle Rogue was just able to assemble, uh, you know, assemble this massive board state through their normal shenanigans so he just waited a little bit too long and even though he had the insane double keliseth intro with the nesting worry so that he could draw his valuable cards he just he just lost because miracle rogue was able to do its thing feels bad man yeah it feels i know it, it feels so bad i did i did feel bad for him but at the same time i i just think he should have just volcanoed and drawn five cards yeah so, you know, as much as it feels bad, it's about, um, I don't know, I suppose, like, playing mistakes. Like, obviously, I'm not a professional, and I am nowhere near their level, but I sort of I sort of think to myself that, you know, th there are some things that I can take away from this, and um, I ba it's basically a highlight on how small decisions will lose you a game. Yeah, all those um, micro decisions. Yeah, so, you know, the, his sequencing, spending mana, all of his attacks, you know, there were just times where he should have won, he should have won the game, but instead of, you know, uh, attacking with his hero and one or doing, or doing X, Y, Z, he just wasn't able to, to, um, to finish off the game. Yeah, it definitely feels bad. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So... Um, yeah, that was my uh, general thoughts around the uh, Dream Hack. It was definitely a, re a really good event. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to, to seeing, um, to seeing uh, what happens later and to see what happens with the finals. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it will be interesting. Uh, in particular, I think Amnesiac is, is through to the top eight. Um, you know, with a pretty commanding presence. Not sure about too many others, um, but 
that was um one that i saw and i think definitely ball control after his you know almost undeserving win over team america he did play well but yeah i think team america played. all right man so it's time to go to our last little bit of esports news and we're going to talk about the overwatch league excellent ladies and gentlemen start your engines activated you're not bad but not good either cheers mate the cavalry's here all right so speaking of the overwatch league i just thought i'd have a general look at how the ladder's shaping up for this term and uh talk about what sort of happened in um this week in the overwatch league um I don't know if you I don't know if you know, I don't know if I told you this, but I have uh picked my favorite team from the Overwatch League now. Yeah, who are they? Yep. I uh I really enjoy the play of uh New York Excelsior. You know, I actually like them quite a bit as well. I think they're a um pretty um pretty interesting team and uh, I think the characters have a lot of all the um the players have a lot of charisma. Mm, yeah, 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 I definitely think so. Charisma. <laughs> yes, charisma. Um, yeah, dude, I definitely think so. Uh, I really like their play. Um, I really like the, some of the strategies that they run. Um, and I also like how they're just not afraid to, to run, to run what they're good at. Yeah. Well, I think it makes a big difference when you're, um, you know, in, instead of just being slaves to a, a particular meta or just doing what everyone else is doing, um, you know, playing the heroes that you're, you're comfortable with or the, um, team compositions that will work for you. Mm. Yeah, and the and what's crazy is that they're they they're sort of just seeing a lot of success with it as well. So, um, being able to do that and being successful is you know just a sign of a really good team. So, um, so yeah, really really like them. They did go one uh, one this week. Uh, so far, I think there's still oh no, those are the only games that they have played. Sorry, so um, pretty good. Uh, their matchup against the Los Angeles Los Angeles Valiant was um was a really close one and really could have gone either way and i think there was a bit of showboating on them at one point so um you know <laughs> i think they deserve the loss after that but um yeah they're doing pretty well the one thing that was crazy to note is that boston uprising man they're falling hard yeah they've dropped down to i think it's um 10th yeah. in the standings yeah they yeah, went zero, crazy they went zero two again this week yeah so no, it's, it's crazy to see it is it is someone people that were so dominant um and in the last in the last um stage just you know just not at all and i think the meta is just not being very kind to them no i think they um they were a lot stronger when it was purely dive but i think this sort of transitionary meta that we've got at the moment is um shaking them up a little bit yeah i think so i think it's sort of stressing the you think it's it's sort of stressing their hero pools or stressing their synergy with it i think so yeah like when you obviously being pro players um, and playing at their level, they'll be able to play every hero to a, you know, a very high standard. Um, but I think when you're used to playing certain heroes, you know, for multiple seasons, uh, it can be a little bit difficult when you're, you're forced to play other heroes, which, you know, previously you wouldn't have played as much. Mm, yeah, I definitely so, yeah, agree. I definitely think that's a factor. Mm, sure. Sure. And um, on the opposite of that though, the uh, the Houston Outlaws and the Los Angeles Valiant have both did really well this week, and in particular, I've mentioned it as w before that Houston 
have said that this is their meta, and it's definitely reflecting in, on these two teams that both went 2-0 this week. Yeah, I've, I've actually watched a couple of Outlaws games um, in the last week, and they seem um, yeah, seem to be on the rise, which is good to see. Mm, yeah, it is um, really good to see. It's, it's, I feel there's a lot more, um, a lot more shake-up, a lot more diversity going on. Yeah. All right, man. So I think it's uh, shaping up to be a really interesting stage. And is how many? Is there one more stage before they uh, they go to the finals? I'm not actually sure. No, I think it's just um, four stages, and then finals will be in July, from memory. Oh, okay. So in the um, mid to late July, they'll mm. have the finals, which will run over a number of days, I think. Yeah, excellent. Definitely be looking forward to that, to seeing seeing how that goes and seeing who's at the top. Yeah. Mm. Um, so the game that I really wanted to mention uh, this week is obviously when my favorite team won. <laughs> but um, it's one that I uh, I wanted to highlight a couple of things. It, so it was uh, New York Excelsior versus the Philadelphia Fusion. Okay, yep. And so... I've always wondered to myself when I'm playing, you know, when I'm playing quick play or I'm playing, you know, in, in ranked and I always see, you know, a Widowmaker, you know, every second game or so. Yep. Yep. I found the reason. Why is that? It's pine. Pine is the reason. <laughs> ah, right. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, Pine is normally one of the people that they sub in and out uh, over Sebielbi on um, New York Excelsior, and he's basically the best Widowmaker I have ever seen. Yeah, he's um, he's pretty insane on Widow, mm. and it, it's almost to the point where he's a one-trick pony. But uh, he did end up playing a lot of other. Um, you know, he does end up playing a lot of uh, some other heroes, in particular like um, Farah and um, and McCree. But um, his his Widowmaker was just, you know, something to behold. Um, and in particular, it's what I wanted to highlight about things that I saw this week is that um, with, the, with the new meta sort of shaking up, it's not really too much of a new thing because uh, it did really happen a lot. Um, but there's just been a lot of Widow battles going on in the Overwatch League. Yeah, and I've, I've got to say, I'm not a big fan of the Widow battles. I think they're a bit boring. They are a little um, bit boring. Um, however, I do, I do like you know. It, it is really fun to watch when the the widows have to you know respond to dive. I think it's um, you know a little bit a little bit better once once the enemy widow's gone uh, and you have an idea of where they are. Just really trying to avoid avoid the enemy dive on you. Yeah. Yeah, that's the part. That's the part that I like seeing. But I did want to mention that this that that was a thing. Uh, uh, that even though Pine is sort of like the best widow that I've seen, he was still getting caught out and still having a crazy battle up against the the Philadelphia Fusion widow. I forget who was playing that. Um, but once um, once he won the once he won the battle in particular, Pine, he just started just absolutely popping off on everyone, man. Um, and it was just, you know, it was just crazy, crazy to see that he was just able to, you know, come in and just get three headshots in a row. 
Yeah, and I guess when you're seeing that play, that, that type of play, um, it, it is exciting to see. But the whole sort of Widow versus Widow thing is sort of like a, a trigger point. Mm. So before either Widow can actually really you know, be free to assist their team, they've got to eliminate the other opposing Widow, mm. um, which, you know, I, I think sometimes that it gets a bit stale um, because they're sort of just exclusively focusing on each other and... I don't know if if that was me in a game and I was playing against another widow. You know, obviously I'm not the the best widow maker in the world for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, and my either. opponents definitely won't be either. So it's sort of like a lot of time where you're not really helping your team. But... Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So at our at our elo, I think it's definitely just not a good idea to play widow maker just at all. Um, and I can definitely see what you mean by it by it being stale. However, when I'm watching it, when I'm watching the Overwatch League. Generally speaking, um, the Widowmaker jewels don't last very long. So yes, yeah. So I think that's the only reason that it's exciting. So when our games at home, yeah, it's just a bad idea and just really boring. Because like, you know, what happens is these two Widowmakers sit there for five minutes trying to kill each other. Um, um, but you know, in the Overwatch League, they're normally done within thirty seconds, and then the Widow's off, you know, helping out the team a little bit. So I think oh, it should be played. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I think that I think it's just definitely why we see a lot of this stuff happening at home, is that you know people see oh Widowmakers you know getting all these headshots and killing all these people and like winning the point and all these other stuff and they're like, man, that's what I want, you know, I want to be like you know shooting people in the head. Mm. But what ends up happening is uh, they're just not very good. <laughs> Pretty much, and that's a, a brilliant segue, I think, um, into our esports at home segment. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's just get straight straight into it, dude. Um, this is something that I think everybody should be thinking about, and I know that I think about it a little bit, but don't often execute on it. And it's about uh, when to swap heroes. Yep, it is a, a big thing, and I think a lot of players get trapped when they um, they see you know big streamers or whatever. Um, who one-trick a particular hero and will never swap, you know, regardless of what's happening. Mm, yeah, that is a bit of a trap. The, the way Overwatch is designed is you're meant to swap heroes constantly in order to counter your opponents. Mm. Um, and so, you know, having a knowledge of each hero, what they can do and their counters is, you know, extremely important. Um, so I guess the first bit about this is you're supposed to swap once you you sort of realize that a um there's a there's someone that's like countering you hard yeah, so yeah, absolutely. A, a good good example of this is um you know with Brigitte in the game now if you're playing a genji or tracer and you're finding that you're just getting shield bashed and killed and not really um being able to do your job you know, swap out um in saying that if you're playing Widowmaker and you're not getting kills consistently um, and you're not really contributing anything to the team, swap to something else um, where you can actually contribute. So if, when what you're doing isn't working, swap heroes and, and try something else to, to try to, um, I guess, make more of an impact on the game. Yeah, dude, it seems like such a simple thing, right? That if, if you're just not, you know, if what you're doing just isn't working, then why do you expect it to, like, it works suddenly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway. Yeah. So I guess the other condition there as well is, um, you know, some players will they'll be hesitant to swap to another hero because they might lose their ultimate charge. Mm. Um, and I guess there's two streams of thought here. You know, you can quickly get your ultimate, use it, and then swap. Um, or just if you're really being counted hard and you don't think that your ultimate's going to make much of a difference, um, just swap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I think this as well. Um, I think it obviously depends on what ulti you have, right? So there are some ultimates that just, depending on the game, just aren't going to do anything. But, you know, if it's like a Brigida ult or, you know, one that sort of just affects your team, and I think it's definitely worth um, worth using it and then swapping off to another a different hero because, you know, you pop the Brigida ultimate, give everyone some armor, and then maybe swap off to something else if you're just um, up against a team that's just countering you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, a good way to think of it. Mm. And I guess, conversely, if you've got something like a Tracer Pulse Bomb and you're versing that Brigida and, you know, you're not really going to get an opportunity to to get in and use it. You know, it's not really worth charging it. You may as well just swap straight away. Yeah, I completely agree with you, man. And it's the same with like a Genji. If you you think, oh, I'm you know I'm on like you know ninety five percent of Dragon Blade. Well, it's you know, do you really want to try use it? Yeah, and um, you know, in that in that case, you know, if you get the Dragon Blade, you may as well try to use it. Um, if you die, then I'd definitely be considering um yeah swap. swapping yep yep i completely agree um i think the last one uh i don't know if you agree with me on this one but i think um some of the other more complicated um strategies around this and one that i saw a lot in the uh watching the watching the overwatch league is when you're trying to counter uh the the enemy strategy or uh, counter the dive or counter the poke yes yeah so quite often um something that i was seeing is um a lot of swaps around to counter farah or counter widow yeah the the farah in particular um obviously uh farah can be countered to a certain extent by mccree um soldier 76 and Widowmaker, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not a hard counter. It comes, it, you know, it comes down to how the Farah is played. And if you watch, um, I guess, very high-ranked Farah players like Valkyr, um, he will play Farah into, um, you know, the soldiers, the um, McCrees and Widows, because he knows how to how to counter them, mm. um, sure. or, or how to play around them, I suppose. Yeah. Right. So just switching to McCree or, or Widow or whatever to get rid of Farah, I don't think is always you know, a hard counter. It comes down to the skill of the Farah as well and, and how they you know, play around you. Man, I think it also comes down to the skill of the McCree and the Widow. Like, if, yeah. you, if, you, can't hit, if you can't hit the Farah, then she's just not dying. This is true, especially if she's got a pocket mercy as well. Just yeah, yeah, the good old pharmacy. Pharmacy, yeah. Um, yeah, so that is a big one that I see. Um, one thing that I did see a lot as well is that when dive wasn't working, um, that there was a lot of, uh, switches over to Junkrat. Yes. Mm. And, um, yeah, I feel that is a very, like, sort of strong counter to Brigida, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, 100% correct. 
Um, and it's great against the um, the Reinhardts that you know are now the staple of the meta, um, yeah, because sure. you can just you can sit back, spam the shield, um, knock that down really quickly, and then deny them space. So you're you're preventing that Reinhardt from being able to make space for the team by using your um, your grenades to to deny that that area to them. Mm, yeah, sure. And uh, he brings a very very powerful ultimate to the game as well, one that can sort of get in behind the Reinhardt shield. Yes, and um, pretty much whenever you've got a, a Junkrat ult, it's you're going to get a kill with it more or less every time. Mm, yeah. um, and, it, and it basically means that as soon as you use it, um, the enemy team's push just won't work. They've, they've got to regroup and try again, especially if you take out the Reinhardt. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, as well, uh, I think twofold as well with the Reinhardt is that um, he just gives um, uh, gives Junkrat a lot of ult charge. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, there's just like a, a nice big seven foot Nordic man to like, you know, hit with your um, hit with your grenades. Yeah, nice easy target. Um, you can try to, you know, take out the shield obviously, and then if everyone's huddling behind Reinhardt because they don't want to walk into your your grenades, um, as soon as that shield goes down, you're you're just hitting squishies. Yep, just fantastic. Can, yeah, yeah, you're just good to go. Um, yeah, so that is one that I that I definitely saw as well. Um, is that you know when when their dive wasn't working, if you're on a Genji or you're on a Tracer, then um, then you'd switch over to Junkrat. So I think there's like I think there's a very sort of intricate game that's happening between a lot of the pros right now, and it's can I get away with dive? If not, I'll switch to Junkrat or Widow. You know, um, is you know is my is my front line is my Brigida getting um you know it's sort of countered by the uh Farah or junkrat sort of combo and whether or not i should switch them out to like others and i think it's really really interesting to um to have a look at that yeah definitely mm. probably uh, some of those some of the heroes that i mentioned are pretty di uh, some of them are a little bit difficult to play though so um i'm not too sure if it's something that i can bring into my into my games at home but definitely ones that are a little bit easier to play, I would say, are uh, uh, the Junkrat. So if you find that what you're doing isn't working and you don't have a Junkrat on your team, I would highly suggest switching to them in the meta right now. Especially on defense. Mm. Yep. Very, very strong at denying the, um, the space to the enemy team. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think so. Definitely think so. Um, yeah, was there anything else you wanted to mention about this, Christian? Don't think so. Yeah, I think that was it for me. So, moral of the story is don't be set in your ways. I know streamers want a one-trick pony, but just, just, just don't follow them. Yeah, you'll definitely win more games if you switch off something that's not working, mm. especially if it's a Widowmaker. Yeah, <laughs> yes, especially a Widowmaker. Um, it, it used to be Hanzo as well back in the day, right? But yes, but now Hanzo's awesome. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> says the Hanzo man. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, now Hanzo uh, like outputs a lot of DPS, so I think he's pretty safe. Um, yeah, so just a few to watch out for. In particular, like we said, the Widowmaker, and, um, and yeah, I think that was about it. All right, man. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for our podcast this week. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, well, it was uh, good fun to have you here, man. Uh, thanks for our pleasure uh, to be here as always. Me. Yeah. Thank you. Shame that our, uh, our good and excellent friend Joey couldn't be here. Yeah, it is a, it is a bit of a shame. Um, he will be back next week. So 
you know, we can get filled in on um, on what he's been doing over the week and whatnot. So that'll be fine. Uh, all right. So um, if you want to contact the podcast uh, at any time, feel free to send us an email over at chilledpodcast.gmail.com. Uh, we're also available on Twitter, chill, uh, chilled podcast at chilledcast. If you want to look out for any uh, any release schedules or anything about the podcast, um, and you can also uh, find our full catalog over at jhray.com/chilled, um, where you can have a look at all of our podcasts and some other Blizzard content coming soon. Um, as well, you can find me uh, Eugene or at OvalTeenGene on Twitter if you want to contact me. Um, you know, send me send me a um, Send me a question. Ask me about anything. And uh, yeah, that just wraps it up, man. Thank you, Christian, for being here. Thanks for having me. No worries. And uh, take care, everybody. Later, all.